Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning, North Sound family. So good to see you all. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Pastor Allen mentioned uh, the passing of Joanne Schradel. Joanne has been an important part of our congregation for many years. And I understand that at the picnic, um, Barb, is it correct there's going to be some of Joanne's oatmeal raisin cookies? Okay. <laughs> well, we want to kind of honor uh, Joanne in that way. That was sort of her um, way of blessing uh, folks, was making those cookies for them. Uh, and then Pastor Finney's dad passed away. They were with us, you may recall, for several months, and uh, it wasn't expected that he would pass so quickly. Um, but uh, this week, um, that took place in India, and so Pastor Finney will be heading out, I believe, tomorrow uh, to go to India for all of the arrangements uh, for, that, for that service. And then uh, Barbara Wilkinson has been a part of our congregation, Barbara and Jim, and encourage your prayers for Barbara and family uh, during this particular time in which they need the Lord uh, to be close to them. Uh, welcome those of you that are uh, watching online. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Well, I have a, a picture here of uh, our Club Grub gang. Uh, this was uh, taken about 10 days ago at our house. And um, when you see Club Grub volunteers on Sunday morning, uh, you just get a little picture of them. But in fact, there are about 30 folks all together who serve on the different teams to produce uh, these wonderful meals for us. And this was a gathering uh, at our house that Barb hosted for our Club Grub Gang. And uh, it's interesting, that day, I didn't know it, but I had COVID. And you can maybe see me sitting at the table there with folks. Um, all I had was a bit of a tickle in my throat. But that night, um, I, I, uh, I didn't feel good in the night, and I got up and thought, oh, man, could this be COVID? Did a test about 1 a.m., and sure enough, popped positive. It was like, oh, nuts. And so the next day, <clears throat> um, I slept most of the day. Uh, the main symptom for me has just been tiredness. I called Pastor Robin and said, can you, uh, can you help on a, short, on a short leash here? And he said yes, and uh, thankfully, uh, we made it through last Sunday. Thank you, Pastor Robin, for pinch hitting uh, for me last week. COVID um, is no fun. Uh, I got on the Paxlovid stuff and felt pretty good, as I say, other than, um, other than, the, uh, um, other than the tiredness. But there were some, some, some good things that happened as well. Like uh, one of the best things that happened was when I got a text from Jennifer, uh, Barb's and my daughter-in-law, Sean's wife, who said that... Um, Ethan had had a sore throat, and so she gave Ethan, six years old, our grandson, a COVID test. And the test turned out to be negative, but Ethan said to mommy, he said, I hope the test is negative, but in some ways I hope it's positive because then I could be close to Papa. Oh, yeah, isn't that, I tell you, those, those of you that are anticipating grandchildren, um, uh, I, I'm excited for you. Those of you that may not have had the opportunity, you can adopt some. Uh, we have some kids at North Sound who I'm sure would be happy to be uh, adopted and be a, part of, uh, be a part of the family. Okay, we are going to talk today about the advent of the seventh day. 
I'm looking around for Pastor Allen. Did he slip out? He did slip out. Okay, thank you. He, he had to endure the sermon in the first service, so he may have slipped out for a moment. Uh, I was going to tell this story on him. I kind of wish he was in here for it, but um, you may have noticed he slipped up onto the stage a little bit early for the prayer, like one song early. And, uh, and I must confess, uh, just secretly, a little joy in my heart. And the reason for that was that we had a mosaic concert here. The place was full. The, it was full up here. And I got the wrong cue. And I came up a song too early to do my part in the concert. And so I'm standing there in the middle of the stage. The room is full. The choir is wondering, what is he doing there? Pastor Allen gives me this look that says, what are you doing there? <laughs> so I had to come up with something, um, and so I did a little uh, improvisation because the pianist, Vanessa, started to do If I Were a Rich Man, you know, from uh, Zorba the Greek, I think it was. So I, I, I launched into a chorus of that and uh, somehow got myself saved in that moment. So you can tell Pastor Allen that we're even now. Um, <laughs> Okay, so the advent of the seventh day is where we are today. And um, I thought I was being very cute and unique by talking about the advent of the seventh day, taking off on another faith group who call themselves Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, so they're Seventh-day Adventists. We got the advent of the second day. Gary uh, and Ann, it's so good to have you guys back with us uh, this Sunday. God bless you. And... Uh, Anyway, we're, so we're going to continue in this series, and uh, we are now going to move towards the end of uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1 and beginning of Genesis chapter 2. So before the pandemic, I was having a cup of coffee at Starbucks, and Bill, a retired police officer, came in and introduced me to a sergeant, active duty sergeant on the police force. And the sergeant, when he heard I was from North Sound Church, thanked me on behalf of all of you, or for all of you, um, for the police treat. So before the pandemic, and Deb, I don't know if we're, we've been doing it after the pandemic yet, but before the pandemic, we were doing peace, police treats uh, uh, for regularly for our police officers, and they really appreciate it. It was one of the ways that we had an outreach into the community. And so two police officers were out on a call that came in where they came across a situation they did not know how to handle. And so they radioed back to the station and said, Sarge, we have, a, we have a situation here. We have a woman that has shot her husband for walking on a freshly mopped floor. And the Sarge says, well, did you arrest her? And they said, no, Sarge, the floor is still wet. <laughs> okay. Well, in this series, we have moved from the wet floor, a.k.a. the watery chaos of the creation, uh, into the actual development of creation itself. And uh, just before going to the seventh day, we're going to pause at the sixth day for just a moment in Genesis 1.31, where we read, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. I'm glad this verse was included in the Genesis story, 
because a couple of weeks ago we talked about God and anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism is when we give human characteristics to God. And uh, I, I just sort of see that here. God's done this amazing creation. And, and this verse kind of suggests he stands back and says, I do pretty good work, right? I mean, that's kind of the picture that we have here. It reminds me of when, uh, when Scotty and I would wash cars together, which is not as often as we should. When we would wash cars together, I explained to him that the best part of the job wasn't, you know, hosing the car down. It wasn't soaping it up. It wasn't rinsing it off. It wasn't drying it. The best part of the whole thing was when you were done and the car just shone and you stepped back and said, we do good work, don't we? That's the picture that I see of God in this moment in the beauty of, uh, in the beauty of creation. It kind of reminds me of having children, you know? With us guys, we have to endure a lot in that process. There's, n there's nine months where we have to put up with a, well, a woman whose figure has kind of gone to pot, and we have to put up with moods and that kind of thing. But when the baby is born, guys, and you quietly slip in and you open the bedroom door and that beautiful child is sleeping there and you say, we do good work, don't we? Uh, <clears throat> a little quiet, a little quiet on that one. Okay. So we'll talk later, right? Um, so at the end of the sixth day of creation, God says, good job, and indeed it was very good. So now we come to the seventh day, and now just to remind you that the chapter and verse markings in the Bible were not there originally. So we're a church that is a church that believes the Bible is the Word of God. It's the authoritative Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, we believe it's all for us. It's all inspired. It's all authoritative. But it's interesting that it was in the Middle Ages when actually the chapter markings and the verse markings came in. And we've kind of just gone along with it because um, there's no, not really any particular reason to change it. And most of the time they got it really well, but occasionally they messed up. And in this case, um, they, they kind of messed up because chapter 1 should really go until chapter 2, verse 3, those verses that John read for us this morning. And, and the reason is that it's the, the six days of creation and then the seventh day of creation in the early part of chapter 2. And then we jump into kind of a repeat of the story from a different perspective. So for what it's worth, it's this kind of a continuation of the story of chapter 1. So what I want to suggest to us today is that this commandment is a reflection, excuse me, this, this seventh day and the idea of Sabbath is a reflection of the commandment, the third commandment that Moses was given by God in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, in Exodus chapter 20, we read, uh, we read these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So this is the giving on Mount Sinai of the Ten Commandments. But now we're going to back up all the way back to creation 
And notice the parallel here as we look at Genesis 2, 1 to 3 once again. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So verse 1 here is simply a summary statement of creation of what had taken place, namely the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And so we have this, we have this account or a summary of creation. Now whether that was uh, six 24-hour days 6,000 years ago or whether it was with the Big Bang 13 billion years ago, um, it was amazing uh, the creative work of God either way and the design that we see in our world today. Now verse 2 tells us that God rested. And this is an interesting perspective because one of the attributes of God that theologians tell us is omnipotence. That is, he is all-powerful. So why would an all-powerful God need to rest? <clears throat> and it's interesting here that the, the, the word that is used here, the word in Hebrew, is the common word for work that doesn't apply uniquely to God. It applies to the work of human beings. And so what God is in some sense doing is he is creating that weekly cycle for human beings by living out that cycle in the creation and now saying, you also, like me, need to rest from your work. We, uh, we find here that in the, the, the word work that I mentioned is, is, a, is a common one, we move on to the word rest, and the word rest has three meanings in Hebrew as well. One is simply to cease, period. Another is to desist or to cease from work, and the third is to observe the Sabbath. And so in our passage here this morning, the strongest interpretation tends to be with the second meaning, which is to desist from work or to take a break from work. So what do Christians do with this commandment? What do we do with the commandment to keep the Sabbath? Well, it's an interesting thought because we don't worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is clearly Saturday. And it's celebrated by the Jewish people and has been for millennia from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. They call it Shabbat. And there are very strict rules for Orthodox Jews around how they keep Shabbat. Rules that to us don't seem to make a lot of sense. So several years ago, the North Sound uh, congregation sent a group of us to Israel and we had just a wonderful time. Kathy, it's time for you to organize one of those again, just saying, okay? Um, we, we had the most wonderful time, and one of the places that we stopped on Shabbat on Saturday was at a lovely hotel at the Dead Sea. And what was fascinating to me at that, at that hotel was an exchange that took place on Shabbat. So what happens on Shabbat is that if there is more one elevator in the, more than one elevator in the hotel, they rig that elevator so that it stops automatically on every floor and it just keeps going down and then up and down and then up and it stops on every floor. And what was interesting was that there was a woman that was going down. In fact, there may have been more people in the, in the elevator at the time 
And uh, there was a gentleman who wanted to get on the elevator. He had his bathing suit on. He wanted to go down to the Dead Sea or to the pool. And as the elevator came down to that floor and the door opened, there was a woman sitting in the elevator, apparently, because it took so long if you were going floor to floor. And she says to this guy, Shabbat, Shabbat. And he like most Jews in Israel are secular Jews. They're not religious Jews. They're not committed to Judaism, um, but they happen to be Jewish by, by birth, by ethnicity. And so this was a secular Jew. He just wanted to get to the pool as quick as he could, and he thought he had an elevator to do it, and the door opens, and the lady says, Shabbat, Shabbat. And he, he, you know, he said something. I, I don't know if it was in English or Hebrew, but he was not happy at what, what awaited him there. So what I didn't understand was why can't Jewish Orthodox people or ultra-Orthodox people simply use an elevator on the Sabbath? And just this week, I thought, you know, i got to research that. And just this week, I discovered that either in the Talmud or some Jewish writings, that they say that on the Sabbath you can't engage in any activity that involves sparks or fire. And so that has now been interpreted by the Orthodox as electricity. And so you can't engage in pushing the buttons in an elevator because that would involve your engagement with electricity. And so the Shabbat elevator allows you to walk into an elevator and not push any buttons and eventually get to the floor that you want to get to. In the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus, we see they began worshiping on Sunday and they shifted. 100% of the first Christians were also Jews. And up to that point in time, they had followed Shabbat. They, they worshiped on Saturday. But with the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, they shifted the day of worship to Sunday and thereafter, the church began to worship on the first day of the week. They distinguished themselves as Christians by now worshiping on a different day of the week. What's interesting, though, is that they apparently didn't reapply all of the Sabbath rules to Sunday and their recognition and their worship of God on Sunday. And it wasn't until the fourth century that there was a recognition that maybe we should follow on Sunday some of the rules that were there surrounding the Sabbath that the Jews had on Saturday. And what's fascinating is that a millennium, a thousand years later at the time of the Reformation now, the 16th century, both Luther and Calvin, the two strongest lights of the, of the, uh, of the Protestant Reformation, said the commandment regarding the Sabbath, the third commandment, is only for the Jews. It's not for Christians to follow. But I have to say, I think that's a mistake. Not maybe so much a mistake in we need to go back and worship on Saturday and we can't push buttons on elevators, but a, a mistake in the sense that I think in creation, God was giving us a principle, a principle of rest that we violate at our own, uh, 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 the, with potential tragic results for our lives. So you may have heard of the hard-charging manufacturing manager. 
um, the, the woman who puts her team through a 24-hour cycle of three shifts and unlike her predecessor and runs, runs things for, for, for seven days a week, 24 hours a day, three shifts, and manufacturing numbers jump so dramatically that she is invited into the executive suite of the corporation. But the poor person that comes in after her now finds themselves with broken machinery and broken people and the inability to do anything like what the predecessor has done as a result of there being no Sabbath, no rest in the lives of those people. Some of us are still working 40 hours plus a week. Well, Others of us may be retired, but I have found that work continues even for those in the retirement years. You just don't get paid for it. So this principle of Sabbath rest applies to virtually all of us. Stephen Covey talks about uh, what he calls the P-PC balance. P is production. PC is production capability. And so uh, like the example I used of the manufacturing manager who was all about production and just ran things into the ground, that's the inevitable result to a corporation or it's an inevitable result to us as individuals if there is no rest, if there is no break, if there is no opportunity to recharge and to refresh. He uses the picture of the goose that laid the golden egg. You remember the story, Aesop's fable of... Uh, a, a very poor, very poor farmer who uh, one day lifted up his goose and discovered a golden egg, and he wasn't sure what it was, but he felt the weight, took it into town. Indeed, it turned out to be gold, and every morning a golden egg came, but he became more and more avaricious until one day he killed the goose that laid the golden egg. He destroyed production because he wanted everything at once. And when he did that, he discovered that he had nothing. We need, as human beings, both to produce. God's called us to do that, regardless of our circumstances. But we need that rest in our lives that helps us to be able to continue doing so. I think that one of the other things that we read in this passage, another takeaway from this verse is that we need more than just a rest. The text says the seventh day was blessed. It was made holy or sanctified. What does that mean? It's unusual for a day to be blessed. In the scriptures, God's blessed, people are blessed, places are blessed, but not so much days. But in this case, the day was blessed, and we're called to make it holy too. God made it holy. God blessed it. We're called to do it too. How do we do that? What does that mean in our lives? So I think following the concept of a Sabbath principle, not applying it necessarily to Sunday, but the principle needs to be applied in our lives at some point during our week. And what I want to suggest is that when we look at this, if we're going to bless the day, if we're going to bless the Sabbath principle, we need to take some time with God. We need to worship God. And one of the ways that we do that is what's taking place here this morning, which is church. 
We, we gather as the community of saints here at church, and we gather around God's word. To our friends who are watching online, we are so delighted to have you with us. Uh, it continues to be the case about a third uh, of our folks are watching online. But I want to encourage you who are watching online that when you feel safe, when you feel um, able to rejoin us, um, we encourage you to do so. Because church, although we are delighted to give you the services that way, church is far more than the delivery of content. Church is looking around the room and it's greeting one another and it's being in fellowship with one another and it's remembering Joanne's family and Finney's family and Barbara's family and it's asking them how they're doing and it's engaging in one-on-one -on -one with them. It, it's having a hug. It's being in relationship. It's a community of faith. We are a community. We're not just people who produce content. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 2, there is Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's the birthday of the church, okay? Pentecost is. And in that same chapter, in chapter 2, we find the way that the church was um, the way the church conducted its life, that early church. So in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We, we do that, right? We're doing that right now. To the fellowship. On the way in, you've chatted with folks. You caught up with many people. To the breaking of bread. We're going to do that afterwards around Club Grub. And the prayers. Pastor Allen led us in prayer. We prayed the Lord's Prayer together, but we do it together in a community. And so at North Sound Church, we do all these things on Sunday, and when we have Club Grub, it's more than a snack. It's, it's more than just food to give you a bite before you go home. It's actually breaking bread together. It's an opportunity to be family, to be community. And so... How can we make a day of rest by applying the Sabbath principles more broadly in a time where we have an opportunity to apply this principle to our schedules? During my Christian walk, this is a confession time for me, um, I, have, I have been impressed, maybe is the best way to say it, envious is one way of putting it. Um, at those people who seem to be so very closely in touch with God. I think if you think about your life, think about people you know, all of us probably know if we've been in the faith very long, these holy people. They're, they just seem to be so in touch with God. They're con typically contemplatives who, who um, God speaks to them and they're hearing his voice regularly and and, and I just have sort of envied those because that just hasn't been my experience. Uh, these people can be a little scary, by the way, because it seems like they're so close to God that they might know something about you you don't want them to know, right? Um, but so I've, I've, kind of en I've kind of envied them over the years. But God has helped me with understanding the Scripture. In Romans 11, he talks about spiritual gifts he says, by the grace given to me, Paul says, 
I say to everyone, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith God's assigned for one body. We have many members. Members do not have all the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 1 Corinthians 12, same thing. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make me less, that would not make me less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would there be the sense of smell? But as God arranged it, he arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So notice here the, the diverse application of spiritual gifts. And I believe that in a very uh, straightforward way, this also applies to each one of us and the uniqueness in how we relate to God. And we need to be very careful about feeling either a sense of superiority because we relate to God this way and he doesn't relate to God that way. Or alternatively, an inferiority expression because we like what somebody else has and how they relate to God that may be different than our own. What practices draw you to the Lord? Perhaps today you can think about what practices in the context of a Sabbath rest, whenever that takes place, helps you to make that time holy by drawing you towards the Lord. Gary Thomas wrote a wonderful book years ago called Sacred Marriage. I encourage you, if, you've never, if you're married and you've never read that, to, to do so. But he also um, wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. You may identify yourself in one of these pathways. These are sacred pathways that for many people, are a part of their Sabbath rest, a part of their drawing near to God in that part of the week when they choose to do so. So naturalists draw near to God through nature. These are the folks that love to get out into the, into the wild, into nature, and experience the joy of being in creation. And I must confess, it's wonderful. A couple of weeks back, on a day off, Barb and I took Ethan and Thomas uh, to the ice caves. And we couldn't get it all the way because the bridge was washed out. But just being in nature is absolutely wonderful. Just an incredible kind of a feeling. But naturalists do that regularly. That's how they connect with God. I know that, that Eugene Peterson and his wife, the translator of the message version, every Monday would go out into nature. Every Monday was their Sabbath, and rain or shine, they would go hiking. Sensates are those who draw near to God through the senses. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a Catholic or an Anglican service, but um, they have a censer in some of the, the, the more formal services. And the censer, the priest or the bishop goes like this. And you get the smell of incense coming out. And for us, who sort of grew up in a church like North Sound or came to faith as adults in a church like this, that seems kind of strange. But, but in fact, um, what that is, what that incense is, is an expression of the reality, it's a symbol of the reality of the Holy Spirit in the room. 
The Holy Spirit says when two or three of us gather together, the Spirit's here in the midst. And when you smell that incense in the context of that service, it's a reminder, God is here. God's in this place. There are other kinds of sensations that sensates have that draw them to God. Traditionalists draw to God through ritual and symbol, through ritual and symbol. So once again, our Catholic and, and Anglican friends tend to uh, find in the repetition and the ritual of the service that they draw near to God. Uh, most of the service, most of the liturgy is scripture that they're repeating, and it helps them to remember God's word and to be formed in that way. Ascetics draw near to God through solitude and simplicity. When I was in seminary, I had a privilege of going to the Abbey of Gethsemane, uh, and it was um, a Trappist monastery. Some of you may be familiar with Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk uh, there. And in a Trappist monastery, they're a non-speaking order. So this was a spiritual retreat, and it was interesting to be there for a weekend with the monks and the times appointed, which for me were in the middle of the night as well of the days when they gathered in the chapel for that antiphonal worship, the beautiful chanting that takes place, but also to be um, engaged in the refectory, the, the, the cafeteria, as it were, pointing um, at the food that you wanted because you weren't talking. It was a non-speaking non order. Ascetics love solitude and simplicity. Activists draw near to God through bringing about social change. That doesn't seem to us or to many of us like how, how, how can you be an activist and be close to God, but they sense God's anointing and blessing as they do that. And through, excuse me, caregivers draw near to God through caring for and serving others. They experience God's presence as they reach out and are a presence to others. Enthusiasts draw near to God through celebration and mystery. I grew up Pentecostal. You hear me express that every once in a while, and it was a wonderful thing. It was a great to be uh, in that environment. Um, but if you've never been to a Pentecostal service, you don't know what enthusiasm is. And, and, in, and in, a, in, in, in many Pentecostal churches today, it's actually very much like like what we're doing uh, today. It, they've sort of changed over the years and kind of softened what it used to be. But, but in our day, um, you know, people would be down front dancing, doing the Pentecostal two-step uh, in worship. Um, I can remember uh, an evangelist running around the auditorium um, and, and, you know, just kind of pretty kind of wild stuff for some of us. But for enthusiasts, this was a way that, that they kind of related to God. Uh, contemplatives we talked about earlier are those who draw near to God through personal adoration and heartfelt devotion. Intellectuals are those who draw near to God through their minds. You know, it, 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 intellectuals, I, I kind of identify with some of these folks because what happens with intellectuals is that um, you're reading something. It might be a Bible passage. It might be a commentary. It might be a book of theology. And you get this insight about God that is like, oh my goodness, God is really like this. And, 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 and it's a way that, that you can communicate with God and God communicates with you based upon how you're wired otherwise. Now, the important thing here is that obviously this list is not exclusive these are just examples of how people relate to God. You may relate to God in this Sabbath rest, 
principle in a way that's different than any of these, but is very appropriate for you. But as I close this morning, I want to remember, friends, that every day, every moment is not a time when we apply the Sabbath principle. We need to work all of our lives. The commandment doesn't say we stop working at 65, Jack. Uh, (laughs) The nature of our work may change, but we continue to contribute here on earth until the place of service is heaven. Did you hear that? We continue to contribute here on earth until the place of service is heaven. The Bible also talks about working out our salvation. What does that mean, working out our salvation? Isn't it a free gift of God? By grace you're saved, not of works. And then we hear you're supposed to work out your salvation. Well, having been saved and having received the grace of God, we now have a calling in our lives working out that salvation to increasingly look like Jesus. Working out our salvation is sometimes called sanctification. It's sometimes called discipleship. But what it is, is transforming our lives into Jesus' life so that we increasingly look like him. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says, And we all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's the main part of our work? Well, we continue to serve regardless of whether we're we're working full-time or whether we're retired full-time and working and not getting paid for it. But we work to serve others, to serve the kingdom, to serve our community. We also work to see that our lives are increasingly transformed into the image of Christ. Many of us know the story of John Newton, the slave trader turned pastor. He wrote Amazing Grace. And I'm just amazed at how Amazing Grace has almost become a secular hymn. You you don't have to go to a religious service to hear Amazing Grace. Um, So often, whenever there's a piper anywhere, the piper does Amazing Grace. It's just uh, an amazing crossover, if you will, from the Christian faith and what it meant to John Newton, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton said this, and I close with these words this morning. These words that he said about genuinely setting our sights on looking more like the master. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But I still am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the story of creation. And now today, how we apply the the seventh day principle in our lives. Lord, help us to know what it is to work. Help us to know what it is to rest. Help us to know how we can best relate to you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.